millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Just a warning before we start. This episode contains descriptions of sexual abuse and is not suitable for everyone. Jim De Regatis never set out to be an investigative journalist. His passion had always been music, and he was a seasoned music critic with the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper. But back in the year 2000, something happened that would change Jim's career trajectory forever. He was about to start on a journey that would come to consume the next two decades of his life. And in a roundabout way, it started with a pretty standard album review. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is the tip-off. Back in the year 2000, Jim had just written a review of the album TP2.com by R&B singer R. Kelly. I had compared him to Marvin Gaye. This is not a unique critical thought. It is the oldest trope in R&B. The blurring of the line between sex and salvation. You know, you're uh, at the club or in the sheets on Saturday night and you're in church on Sunday morning. And I noted that, you know, Prince and the Reverend Al Green and Marvin Gaye, this was what all the greats of R&B and soul had done were, was to blur that line, sex can be salvation, and that Kelly may get there someday, but for him, the shift was so jarring it could give you whiplash. Jim filed a review of R. Kelly's album. It was printed, and he didn't think much more about it. Until about a week later, a few days before Thanksgiving, and on a rare trip into the office, Jim usually worked from home, he noticed a fax had come into the newspaper. A fax that was addressed to him. It was one page, single spaced, and it said, Dear Mr. Dear Goddess, I don't know if you're the right person at the newspaper to send this to. If you're not, please steer it to someone who is. Uh, you compared R. Kelly to Marvin Gaye. Well, Marvin Gaye had his problems, but they're not like Robert's. Robert's problem, and this is a thing that goes back many years, is young girls. And Maeve, I threw it on the slush pile of press releases I would never read and hate mail. And I went home and I had Thanksgiving weekend. The facts were suggesting that R. Kelly, Robert Kelly, had been having sex with underage girls for years. Most journalists get crank letters full of conspiracy theories or audacious claims. And most of the time, you can trust your instincts about which ones to pay attention to. But back at his house, amongst the turkey and the cranberry sauce, 
Jim found his thoughts returning to that message. Had he been too hasty to discard it to the trash pile? Something bothered me, the reporter's instinct. I didn't think it would have shown the level of compassion that that anonymous correspondent showed. Robert needs help. Robert's got to stop. The single most often repeated sentence I have heard in 19 years of reporting this sad story is, brother needs help, brother's got to stop. And then there was a lot of specific stuff, and I was kicking myself for not having brought the facts home. So after the weekend, Jim found himself back in the office, sifting the page out of the pile he'd left it in. He read it again, carefully this time, taking in every word. I highlighted the specific details, uh, a lot of them, the names, the phone numbers, and I made one call. The first call was, uh, there was a name... Uh, in the Chicago Police Department that uh, the anonymous correspondent said uh, had been investigating him for a year and a half for sex with underage girls. The police officer was named in the facts, a Sergeant Jazuski. Okay, there was a lead, something solid he could look into. So Jim pulled up the number of the Chicago Police Department and called, asking whether there was any sergeant of that name there. I spelled it off the facts. And she said, uh, no, there's nobody here by that name. And I almost hung up then. And I said, well, you know, is there anybody with a similar Polish surname in sex crimes? And the operator groaned. And suddenly I was connected to a woman. And she picks up the phone and says, Chizahuski Special Investigations. I said, okay, I'm calling from the Chicago Sun-Times. My name is Jim Deeragatis about the investigation you have into R. Kelly. And she said, oh, I was wondering how long it would be before somebody called about that. I can't talk to you. And 19 years of my life start there. Jim sat back, awestruck. This fax alleged that R. Kelly, one of the biggest R&B stars on the planet, had been abusing underage girls for years. How could that be true? How would something like that go on and not have come out yet? And how could he possibly look into it? Excited, he cornered another reporter from the Chicago Sun-Times, the court's reporter, Abdon Palish, a man who had become the Woodward to his Bernstein, the Sundance kid to his Butch. Together, they looked through the scant details in the facts. There was a mention of a legal civil case brought against R. Kelly, a young woman who had settled out of court. So there hadn't been any trial, but perhaps there were records of the preparations lurking somewhere. Abdon was dispatched down to the courthouse. In Chicago, in Cook County, the court records are notoriously ill-kept. They are not computerized to this day. 2019, forget about 2000. There was a horrible reputation of things disappearing, never to be found again. Everyone who worked in the Cook County court clerk's office was a church lady friend of Cook County court clerk Dorothy Brown. It was nepotism in the fine Chicago tradition, and they didn't much like to work. Um, Abdon was shocked, frankly, when he found a six-inch thick file, 235 pages, charting the entire Tiffany Hawkins case. The case was four years old, but contained explicit details. Tiffany Hawkins had been a 15-year-old high school sophomore when she met R. Kelly. He had come to listen to her high school choir, and Tiffany was starstruck. She and her friends dreamt of the kind of musical success Kelly had, and excited, they took up his offer to visit the studio. Tiffany took along two friends. One of them would soon become famous in her own right, Aaliyah. 
Jim found Tiffany's phone number and called. Her mother answered and told him that the terms of the civil settlement forbade her or her daughter from talking to the press. The next day, he and Abdon made their way to the Hawkins' house to see if they would talk in person, but the door was slammed in their face. And yet, the facts had suggested that this was not a one-off, that Tiffany was just one of many girls that had been abused. Jim wanted to go further. He and Abdon poured over the details, and amongst the paperwork, there was a vital lead. We read that as carefully as I've read anything in my life, and we highlighted and put post-it notes and underlined all of the allegations and names, and there was a lengthy witness list. That list gave the reporters something to go on. A list of people to talk to, more witnesses, more people who could tell the real story of what R. Kelly had been up to. So they hit the streets, going house to house, asking anyone and everyone what they'd heard. So off they went, two white guys wandering the majority black neighbourhoods of Chicago's south side. We're as white as two white guys could be. But the doorbells we rang, we were invited into people's homes. Once they figured out we weren't cops. Uh, and, the, and it was consistent. No one was surprised that we were asking about Kelly and underage girls. And it was consistently, thank you for listening. No one has wanted to listen to us. Over the course of six weeks... Working 18-hour days sometimes, the two men pieced together this story. How Kelly had used his fame and influence to meet girls as young as 15 and have sex with them. Eventually, after weeks of work, they were ready to publish. As the paper was put to bed and sent to the printers, Jim and Abdon headed to the pub for a much-needed drink. They were anxious, but confident in the strength of the evidence they pulled together. This was going to change things. It had to. We were thinking, he's got to stop now. This is over. He's going to stop. I honestly never thought about, you know, throw him in jail. What is such a sentence? No, no. It, we'd met these women, and we'd met their mothers and fathers and family members and loved ones who had cried on my shoulder and Abdon's shoulder. And we said, this has got to end. This is going to end. We went to the pub, as you say, and had, had a pint or three, waited for the first editions to roll off the printing presses and patted ourselves on the back and said, job well done. They even went back to the office to pick up the early edition of the paper, like cub reporters, smiling proudly at their work. It ran on the bottom of the front page, spilling over onto three full pages inside the paper. Wait until the world sees this. But then... Nothing. The story barely made a splash. No other major outlet picked it up. The world just kind of shrugged. Now, it wasn't like R. Kelly didn't already have something of a reputation. Rumours had abounded that he had married his protégé, Aaliyah, Tiffany's friend, when she was just 15 years old. The pair had always denied it, but Vibe magazine had uncovered and published a marriage certificate where Aaliyah's age had been falsely recorded as three years older than she was. And yet, in a scenario that seems to be so common these days, the world had heard that and kind of ignored it. It was titillation, celebrity gossip, no one considered that it actually showed the actions of a sexual predator. And Kelly flaunted the notoriety, referring to his actions in lyrics and the preposterous 91 minutes long video Trapped in a Closet, as well as other songs. Even in the song he penned for Michael Jackson, You Are Not Alone. In retrospect, Kelly clearly wrote that about 
having been separated from Aaliyah because 24 hours, within 24 hours of that illegal marriage ceremony and for however long the sexual contact with Aaliyah was happening when she was 15, he was 27, it lasted through the entirety of making her debut album which he wrote for her entitled, Maeve, what did he call the Aaliyah album? Oh, AJ Nothing But A Number? Is that for Dostoevsky crime and punishment uh, I am haunted by my guilt and maybe I want to be caught it's always been right there add to that what Jim later found out that Kelly would carry a gym bag around with him filled with videotapes of him with these girls you carry around a gym bag full of VHS tapes of you having sex with teenagers but that's not even stupid that's hubristic I am untouchable I cannot be brought down Kelly had got away with it for years. The rumours, the salacious gossip all seemed to feed into this image of him as a hypersex Lothario. But now, Jim was starting to see the truth beneath the star's hype. One by one, women were contacting him. Dozens of people who had met R. Kelly when they were teenagers, 14, 15 years old. Girls he met outside school or in shopping malls. Girls who said they'd had sexual contact with him and were then discarded. Girls who said the whole encounter had caused them to self-harm, to attempt suicide. This damn cell phone never stopped ringing. The emails never stopped coming. The girls never stopped coming to me and their loved ones, their parents, saying, you know, somebody I love is being hurt and no one's listening to my story. Each time, Jim would be clear. It was up to them how much they made public, whether they went on the record or not. This was no small feat. Kelly had millions of dollars to throw at lawyers and publicists. I would get a text, or I'd get an email, or I'd get a phone call. Jim, what would, what would it be like if I tell my story? And I'd say, it's going to require incredible bravery, and it's up to you. We can do it off the record. We can do it on the record. I have a track record. You, you're coming to me for a reason, uh, and you can trust me but the decision is yours. And then six months go by, and then it's, you know, like, Jim, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, you continue to think about it. I've always let the women lead. You know, I'm not going to twist your arm. Uh, first of all, I didn't call you. You called me. You emailed me. You texted me. You sent me the facts. Uh, I, and, and I would say, if you want to talk, I'm here to listen, and I will tell your story accurately. And if you want to talk off the record, we'll do it that way. If you will put your name on it, we'll do it that way. But it's your call. But for those that did want their story reported, there was the tricky issue of verifying and fact-checking their accounts. Now, the last thing you want to do is to make a rape survivor feel like she's not believed. And yet, accuracy is paramount. You need to get the details nailed down. First and foremost, you want any sort of documentation you can get photographs, court papers, uh, phone records, uh, you know, we were, we never had enough. We always wanted more. We had a hundred, we wanted 150. Uh, and then you, you just keep talking to people to corroborate, you know, I mean, if you think it's bad enough to sit with a young woman who's ripping her soul out and telling you about her sexual assault, try calling her mother, Maeve. All right. And her father, you know, and her sister, her little sister and her brother. 
Um, but it's necessary. I mean, that's what's different. You know, statistically speaking, if there were three of us in this conversation, one of us would have been sexually assaulted. All right? That's the statistic. And we, as their loved one, uh, sit and we empathize and we listen. As a journalist, you're listening and you're also asking these questions. And you're trying to ask them with skepticism, you know, and 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 probing, prodding and probing and, you know, uh, for the facts, you know, because you've got to confirm this. Uh, so the process of the editing, the fact checking, the legal vetting was always hellacious. Jim kept reporting the stories, each time detailing how R. Kelly had groomed young teenage girls with gifts and promises of fame and then had sexual contact. And the world kept ignoring it. Kelly was a huge star, the source of much pride in his hometown Chicago. People didn't want a hero torn down from his throne. And then, of course, there was a complicating issue that race played in the reaction. These were young black women making the claims. And tragically, they seemed easy to ignore. If it had been one young white girl that he had ever been accused of, this comes from the great African-American pop culture scholar Mark Anthony Neal. Fifteen years ago, he told me, one white girl in Winnetka, Winnetka's where Liz Fair grew up. If he had done this to Liz Fair, it would have been a completely different story. When I have always said nobody matters less in American society than young black girls, I have only ever amplified what now hundreds of young black girls have told me. Despite the silence, Jim and Abdom kept reporting. But there was one clue that was frustrating them, something from the original facts that they hadn't been able to stand up. Tiffany's abuse was over. She had settled out of court and was safe now. But the facts had said that Kelly was still abusing young girls and that he was currently focusing his predatory behaviour on his own goddaughter. Jim had followed that up with the parents of the girl, but they had denied everything. They had refused to speak to us. The police had twice interviewed the girl and her parents and they had refused to speak to her. It was one thing reporting historical sexual abuse, but if this was still going on, well then there was all the more impetus to put a spotlight on it. But how could you do that if the family won't talk to you? Well, one day, in 2002, two years after that first story broke, Jim was to get a package that would change everything. More after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It was a February morning, and Jim was working in his office at home. I just finished transcribing an interview with Alicia Keys, and uh, I wanted to be done as soon as possible for the day, and the phone rings, and I did that harried journalist thing. Jim Neer got us, all right? And a deep baritone voice said, go to your mailbox, and I hung up. So I went to the mailbox on the front stoop, and uh, there was a manila envelope, unmarked, and inside the manila envelope was a VHS cassette, unmarked, and I suspected what it was. Jim had received a similar tape before, a tape showing Kelly having sex with a woman or girl that they never managed to identify. The night that tape had been dropped off at his house, someone had shot out the window of his living room. So when you received this tape, he was anxious. He ran upstairs. My daughter was at preschool. I popped Toy Story 2 out of the VCR because that's the only one in the house. And 26 minutes and 39 seconds are the most horrible thing I've seen in my life. The video showed R. Kelly engaging in sexual contact with a girl that Jim and others believed to be his goddaughter. Her face was placid, her eyes dull. In the video, Kelly demands that she calls him Daddy. After the sexual contact, he orders her to open up her mouth, and then he urinates in it. Later, Jim sat with a girl's aunt, a woman named Sparkle, as she watched the tape and confirmed the girl in it was Roshana, her niece. Sparkle had considered herself a friend of Kelly's, but now she saw him in a whole new light. He has to stop, she told Jim. There have been too many to count. Sparkle told Jim that she thought the way Roshana was wearing her hair suggested that the tape was a few years old, that she looked about 14 in it. Jim squinted at the screen. It had been filmed in a room with a hot tub in, and there wasn't much else to go on. But there were clues if you looked hard enough. This tape was crystal clear, and he's calling her by name. There is no ambiguity. This was Robert Sylvester Kelly, and this was Roshana Lanfair. A little bit of ambiguity about exactly the day it was made, but it was late 1998, the holidays perhaps, or early 1999. There was a television commercial for the Money Store, a subprime mortgage lender, airing on the TV, and it went out of business shortly after uh, that time, and we had been able to track some of the TV station's logs for when that commercial showed, because the TV in the background was playing a video hits show, and we knew when that episode aired, roughly, during the time frame that the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls song that we could identify were on top of the charts, okay? I mean, you know, this was late 1998, 1999, uh, like within a six-week span. 
boom, she's 14. You know, it's in his home. And Abden goes and tours it. He, he, he puts the home for sale in Lakeview near uh, Wrigley Field, right? Which is also near where I lived. Uh, puts his home for sale, but uh, does not remove the video cameras that had been installed in the ceilings and on the walls. Abden saw them. And it was a really unique pine wood paneled room with a hot tub and the fbi god bless them this is very csi right you know you know that series over there you know they had microscopic you know they had blown up a hundred times the uh, pine paneling and identified the knots in the wood in the videotape to the knots in the wood in the actual room all right this tape was real Now, those videos had given Jim and his editors pause. It's not in a journalist's nature to hand things over to the police. You need to protect your sources, and you don't know how working with the police might endanger them. But here, Jim had two videos showing potential crimes, paedophilia. After talking around in circles, he and his editors decided that they had to pass them on to law enforcement. Jim wrote up the story. They did not name Roshona or Sparkle, and there was heated discussion about what level of description to go into about the abuse witnessed in the video. The top line of the story read, Chicago police are investigating whether R&B superstar R. Kelly, part of today's opening act at the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, had sex with an underage girl and videotaped the illegal act. The Chicago Sun-Times published, Kelly performed at the Olympics that night to 72 million viewers on TV. Yet again, the story of the abuse was brushed off by most. A few outlets picked it up, but always couched in language like the Chicago Sun-Times is reporting. While some community activists spoke out, calling for boycotts of stores selling his music, most of the world just let it go. I remember myself jokes in the college schoolyard about the R. Kelly P video. It was treated like salacious gossip, like the Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson sex tape. Jim was mortified. Could no one see this was different? Dave Chappelle is brilliant, okay? But to make it about the fetish, that one act, the urination, it became the pee tape in America, not the rape tape. That's what it should have been. There is zero joy in that girl's eyes. There is no pleasure. She is a, a disembodied rape victim automaton. It's horrifying how anyone with morals or a conscience or a soul of any sort could have seen, much less made that tape and endorsed what Kelly did is beyond my comprehension. While the public brushed the tape off as dirty gossip, law enforcement couldn't and Kelly was indicted on 21 counts of making child pornography. But the case took six years to go to trial. And when it finally did, Jim faced a dilemma. He was being called on by the defence team to testify. And if he did, he might be asked about his sources. Then he'd either have to betray their trust and answer, or refuse to answer and risk being held in contempt of court and jailed. The people who spoke to me and asked for confidentiality because of the very best reasons that a whistleblower ever does, fear that they would be hurt physically, financially, 
ruined by this powerful, wealthy man. Um, you know, I would not betray them. Jim was certain he wasn't going to reveal his sources, but he didn't fancy a spell in jail either. The judge was notoriously cranky, and the legal infrastructure in Chicago had been slow to address Kelly's crimes in the past. After many harried conversations, Jim and the Sun-Times' lawyers came up with a strategy. They decided that because Jim had received and watched the tape, which they all considered child pornography, well, those acts could technically be considered crimes in themselves. So rather than be forced to answer questions about his sources, Jim could refuse to answer any question using the Fifth Amendment, the right not to incriminate himself. So that's how he found himself in the witness box, an index card in his hand. Kelly's lawyers asked him if he had received the tape, spoken with sources, if he had assured them confidentiality. Jim gritted his teeth. He wanted to answer, but he knew the drill. I respectfully declined to answer the question on the advice of counsel, on the grounds that to do so would contravene the reporter's privilege, the special witness doctrine, my rights under the Illinois Constitution, and the First and Fifth Amendments of the United States Constitution, he read each time. It worked. He stepped out of the box without having to give up any of his sources. The trial continued, though Jim was advised to stay away. So he was in the newsroom weeks later when the verdict came through. Looking up, he saw the Metro editor's face. Then I knew Kelly was acquitted. And then I had to write about it. I had to write about it. It's the only time, you know, deadline newspaper journalist, like you don't have the luxury of writer's block. You got 45 mon- minutes, 65, 650 words, deliver it now. It was really hard to deal with that. You know, um, uh, yeah, what is there left to say? I mean, what more could journalism or people of conscience have done to stop this man from hurting young women. It was there in crystal clear video for almost half an hour. I mean, think about that. How long a sitcom is. And now think about it being the worst thing you've ever seen in your life for that length. What more could he have done? Jim had reported story after story. There was video evidence. And yet these crimes were being brushed off yet again. It was hard to live with. The world just carried on. By 2016, Jim had been writing about R. Kelly's abuse of underage girls for more than a decade and a half. And yet the world was still in love with the R&B singer. He had headlined Pitchfork's music festival, toured with Jay-Z, put out a top 10 hit with Lady Gaga and released his own tell-all book in which he revealed how he'd been sexually abused as a boy when he was just eight years old, allegedly by his older sister. But no one was talking about Kelly's victims, the many, many women who had opened up to Jim, told him how their lives had been shattered by being picked up and tossed aside by the singer. Jim had left full-time journalism by now and was working primarily as a teacher at Columbia College, Chicago. But one day, in 2016, he got an email that pulled him right back into the story. Hi, I'm a mum of a young adult daughter who is caught up as a victim by Mr. Kelly, it read. He's still up to his same tactics. He just makes sure they're over 17 or 18. Jim immediately called the woman who'd sent it. John Jellin Savage. She told him what 14 other sources would later verify. 
that Kelly lived with six women in one house and that he controlled every element of their lives, denying them contact with friends and family, telling them what to wear and what to eat, that he punished the women physically and mentally. He pulled all the pieces together and got it ready to publish, but editor after editor turned Jim and the story down, brushing it off as a grown man's kinks. Have you heard of Fifty Shades of Grey? one editor asked him. It took nine months for anyone to go for it, but BuzzFeed finally did, and in mid-2017 they published. The hashtag Mute R. Kelly started trending. Here's John Jellin, the mother of one of the women living with Kelly, talking on a US chat show later. I want to let my daughter Jocelyn know that your mother, your father, your family, extended family, we all love you. And we understand that that you have been manipulated by Mr. R. Kelly, but we just want you back and we will gradually help you get back to what we know you are. And just try to get her, get her home to that we love her, love her, no matter what mistakes she thinks she's done or what he's embedded in her head. She always has a place at home. Finally, people were taking notice. And then, in early 2019, a seismic shift. A documentary called Surviving R. Kelly stretched over six episodes and charted the many terrible acts he had perpetrated over decades, many of them stories that Jim had originally broken. What do you want to say to R. Kelly if he's watching? I'm really angry with you for what you're doing. I don't understand it. Why you would want to hurt so many women. The result of that documentary was huge. In the days following the screening, Kelly's record label dropped him. Chicago prosecutors charged him with multiple accounts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse. Three of the four alleged victims were underage when the suspected crimes happened. Kelly pleaded not guilty, but federal and state authorities in at least two other states started investigating a variety of allegations. R. Kelly went on CBS News soon after to defend himself. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this I gave y'all 30 years of my career. Robert. 30 years of my career. Y'all trying to kill me. You're killing me, man. This is not about music. I'm trying to have a relationship with my kids, and I can't do it. Y'all just don't want to believe the truth. You don't want to believe it. Kelly and his team have always denied that he had sex with minors, or that he filmed children having sex, and all of the other assault and abuse charges against him. But finally, the world was taking notice. There was no ignoring it anymore. Over the course of 19 years, Jim had told the stories of 48 women who claimed to have been abused by the singer. And now, he's told many of the stories in his new book, Soulless, The Case Against R. Kelly. It's an incredible laying out of decades of persistent and robust investigative journalism. In 19 years of telling this story, uh, Abden and I shared 33 bylines within the first couple of years, and now in solace. I have never had to issue a correction, a clarification, a retraction, and I have never been sued. Why? Because my reporting is solid. So I'm an investigative journalist as well, but I have never worked on a story of this length. Um, and it's unusual, I guess, to be, well, I, I guess there's probably a handful of journalists around the world that have worked on the same 
focus for, for so long. Do you see the book as a full stop in this, or is this something you're going to keep reporting to your dying day? Oh, I, I really would prefer not to. Uh, but if the phone rings when we're done talking and it's another woman or a family member who says, no one will listen to me, can I talk to you? I will not not take that call. Sometimes you choose your stories and sometimes your stories choose you. I thought this was done on December 21, 2000. It took a little longer than I hoped. And at the core of it all, Jim has worked to keep the focus on the women who found the strength to tell their stories. Women who were ignored by so many for so long. I want to always keep the focus on the incredible bravery of these young women who sat with the white rock critic, not part of their community, and did the most horrible thing, Maeve, that a woman could ever do. Whip out her soul and talk about her sexual assault and then be rewarded for that with the bravery of putting their name on those accusations with the hate mail from people who, to this day, uh, you know, will not believe them. You know, and I mean, they're called the most vile, horrible liars, gold diggers, bitches, whores, uh, and worse on social media, in person, in their own communities, at their churches. You know, I'm sorry, nobody does that to get 15 minutes of fame. Nobody thinks about it for 19 years, like Tiffany Hawkins did before she finally spoke to me, five years before Geronda Johnson did before she finally spoke to me. That ain't, that ain't about money. That ain't about getting your face on TV. Finally, Decades after first writing about her case, Tiffany Hawkins, the very first girl Jim ever heard about, agreed to be interviewed for the book. She had this voice of an angel. She sang with her best friend, Aaliyah. She lives with the guilt that she connected Kelly to six other 15-year-old girls with whom he had sexual contact. She no longer sings. Her dreams of a career uh, like Aaliyah's and, and, you know, between us, I mean, she had a voice that maybe was even better. You know, uh, her best friend is dead. The career is gone, but she picked herself up. She built a life. She runs an ultrasound department. She got a higher degree in business management. Uh, she has a, a daughter who's 15, you know, the, the same age as she was when but she says to me, I can't listen to any music anymore. Not just his music. That makes me physically ill when I encounter it at church, at a party, at a wedding. But I can't listen to any music. Tiffany and Johanda and Lizette and Dominique, they said to me so far, you couldn't have done a better job. I was right to trust you. So, you know, fuck the rest of the world. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. Thanks to Jim DeRogatis. You can read all about his amazing, tenacious reporting and the women brave enough to stand up to the singer in Soulless, the case against R. Kelly. The Tip-Off is produced by me, Maeve McLennigan, with production support from Alice Milliken. Our theme tune is by Dice Muse, and the show is brought to you in association with the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and funding from Charities Aid Foundation. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.